Okay, welcome to today's episode of Board Chitless. Um, I'm going to be joined today by special guests Adam and Brady Sadler, who we've had on the show before and who we're all big fans of here at Board Chitless. And they're having a storming time at the moment with a whole bunch of games coming out right now. And we'll get to those shortly. So um, welcome to the show, Brady and Adam. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us back. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's always good to, to have you back. So last time we spoke was at um, Gen Con this year, and we had about a five-minute window as you guys were rushing out of the show. <laughs> we were all on the way out of the show at the moment, but um, hopefully things are a bit more sedate and chilled out for you now. How was how was the show? How did you enjoy Gen Con? It was good. It was kind of rough being split between the booths because we kind of had to make appearances both on the FFG side, and then uh, we were helping run the Blacklist booth because they got a booth last minute. So it was kind of a scramble, but I mean, you know, it's, I think everybody has to deal with that at the, so if you're working Gen Con, it's kind of a normal problem to have. So it was fun all around, I think. Yeah, I think, I think we had a refresh right here to turn off with, uh, with you at one point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's great. It's uh, well, well, let's talk about that first. Cause obviously you've got a bunch of projects in the pipeline at the moment, but you do uh, some work with fantasy flight and heroes of Terranoth being one of them. So this is a re-implementation of uh, Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game, which uh, we're all big fans of, of course. And there was a there was a bit of a brouhaha nearer the time when people were like crying out for expansion content, and it wasn't coming out. And of course, it later transpired that Fantasy Flight was no longer working with Games Workshop, so all those IPs kind of fell by the wayside, which meant this brilliant game that you guys had come up with sort of got put to one side. So could you talk to us a little bit about that and, and maybe maybe you guys knew behind the scenes what was going to happen all along or what was the process? Oh, so yeah, that was kind of a bummer because that was our first uh, published co-design uh, ever since we started doing freelance work. Um, so we never excited to have that one out and then we kind of saw the writing on the wall that, that might not be having a future, mainly because I, I kind of knew that GFU and FOG had, had a license agreement that, you know, every f- so many, I think it was five years or so, would come up for renegotiation and I knew that that might mean that it might not renew it because FFG seemed to be getting more and more into the miniatures gaming scene, and I don't know if Games Workshop really wanted to. I don't. I don't know the details, but I'm assuming that was kind of why. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a bummer. Um, but it also opened the door to bring the game into the Terranoth setting, which is a relief because that's FFG's own IP, and I don't think it's going anywhere. So the game has a potential for a good lifespan. Yeah, they're definitely building on that world more and more, aren't they, with RPGs and all kinds of different board games set in the same, in the world of Terranoth. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool, but that Rune Wars game, they had a whole uh, section of like lore, like a lore book that kind of flushed the world out a little bit more. Yeah, so how involved did you guys get in that then? With um, Because obviously you had to translate, as it were, Warhammer Quest into Terranoth. Did you get to explore the lore of the world, or was it sort of a straight-up uh, reskin kind of thing? How was that process? Well, we like early on when we we had the project um, kind of presented to us. Uh, like Adam and I just started going at it from a mechanical standpoint because they we knew that they wanted to transition the game, um, and it started off almost more of a. Um, I think the initial concept, at least from our understanding, was like make a compatible version of the game so people can you know you know even use their work and request stuff. But that kind of broke away because there are certain things that like. The GW kind of mandated in Warhammer Quest that kind of almost constricted some of the expansion potential. So we we kind of got a chance to do more of a, uh, a foundational um, change to some of the core stuff. 
Um, but then when we were doing all the content, that's when we got to explore some ideas. Like we wrote the original quasi campaign that got broken up into more like kind of self-contained stories that became the quests. So there, there was a lot of different directions taken early on within that lore. But um, since we both had experience working on the scent, it was kind of an easy transition because we, you know, when Adam was designing this in second edition, I was doing one of the expansions, the Layer of the Worm, which was the first expansion, I believe. Um, so. And I mean, I'm a writer by trade, so it's not much of a stretch for me just to start making stuff up on the fly, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was kind of it was kind of nice. To, it was kind of like revisiting old, you know, stomping grounds because back when we worked at FFG, um, when I was working as designer on since second edition, we kind of had a hand in creating some of the characters and some of the stuff for the new edition. So it was nice to bring some, like for example, Avrik Albright and uh, Tomble Burrowell were both characters that Ray and I made for Descent. And those are both in here as a turnoff, which is pretty cool to see them transition over. Nice. So it's like coming up to old friends, basically. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And he always has a thing for little little uh, halflings and hobbits in games. So he had to have a gnome that descent. So. <laughs> and I even heard rumors that like there was they were trying to structure a lot of the uh, Terranoth stuff. And I remember hearing that, oh, we're, we're, gnomes are no longer a thing. And I was like, what? No, that's not the case. So, like, luckily, when we got to uh, here's turn off, I was making sure, like, there are gnomes, right? And then, obviously, anybody who's played, like, for example, uh, Legacy of Dragonhold know, knows that gnomes became kind of a staple of tearing off, luckily. So, I'm glad yeah. I didn't actually go through. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bad experience with a gnome growing up. We had one in our D&D adventuring party, and he was uh, chaotic neutral. So, uh, he caused all kinds of chaos, and I think it's kind of... <laughs> scarred me for life and uh, in terms of like experiencing gnomes <laughs> that coupled with garden gnomes and you know it's a whole uh, rocky slope for me <laughs> but it, it presumably then gave you like this sort of uh, new design space to play with there's obviously loads more sort of creatures and things that you can work with like gnomes and all these different things that you can throw into um the, the heroes of Terranoth system as it, as it now stands so and, and it also unlocks that capacity for expansions because at the end of the day, Warhammer Quest Adventure Card Game was this small box game and we, um, you know, we, we rinsed the adventures in that game very quickly and were crying out for more stuff and you guys developed the two extra uh, plug-in promo characters. There was the, uh, remind me, it was the Gunslinger, I think. and The Witch Hunter and the um, Troll Slayer. Witch Hunter and Troll Slayer, okay. And, and yeah, so obviously jumped on those and those are great sort of plug-in components um, and we all wanted more we wanted more adventures and stuff now um, but then when the license fell by the wayside uh, there was all that kind of <laughs> as we've discussed all that sort of um, administrative changes but now you're back in the saddle again to, to drive this game forward as here as a tearing off what's the scope for expanding it are, you, are Fancy Flight giving you sort of um, you know full reign to just go and do whatever you want and, and keep exploring this world or is it going to be very rigidly structured around their sort of other game releases as time goes on what's this what's the situation what's the future of heroes of terra well the future is definitely dependent upon uh typically when ffg does a new game they they see how it sells before they plan expansions and they also have to you know take into account their schedule with all their star wars games and everything they do, <laughs> um which clogs their schedule but um I'm pretty sure they're waiting to see how the sales go um, before they, you know, make expansion plans. We have tons of ideas for expansions, and we would love to work on them. Um, but again, I think there's there there might be some kind of hesitation to may, maybe some people in the upper sales departments of FFG think that Warhammer Quest did so well because of the license right. behind the game. So maybe they have to see if uh, if the game still does well in Terranoth. 
Um, I personally think it'll do better because the word's been out that people like the game. Yeah. So more people will probably buy it. But my advice to anybody who likes the game is go buy it, tell your friends to buy it, and hopefully that means we can do tons of experiments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think when people dig into the core set too, they'll just see uh, kind of I, – I think – this core set is much more structured to show the design space because uh, the, the core set does have more like more horizontal content because Warhammer Quest, you had that one story, you had that one campaign, and there were different quests you could play by themselves, but it still felt like this campaign. But in Here's Taranoth, you have eight individual like mini-stories that you level up within each one, so it's just it's much more one-off geared and, and kind of providing a whole variety of whole new game experiences instead of just one big epic experience um, but from there you can you can see how easy it would be to implement either you know more, more quests like that more tied together quests like all kinds of different campaign um, types of rules so it, it it lays a much better foundation so hopefully that that gets people an idea of where the game can go from because we're pretty excited about what we have a lot of ideas of what potential there is for expansion but I think it's it's even more exciting than it was for a request because it's built from the ground up for that yeah and you've kind of got the, the safety net of being as we said in, inside the fantasy flight sort of world as well so there's there's less of a ticking time bomb hanging over you right. about um, how long you can hang on to the license for so um, with with that in mind so talking about the actual game itself you mentioned uh, I think so when you say there's these eight mini campaigns are these all what you'd call delve quests yes they're very similar to what people will see uh, play with delve quests from Warhammer Quest they're very similar to that yeah um, but they're kind of like little mini stories like they they have they play very differently you level up differently in them um, they're all very self-contained cool and what what are the sort of um, mechanical changes we're allowed to introduce I think uh, based on sort of player feedback and stuff you mentioned that you'd um, changed the way you reset the hero's hands in the game as well. Yeah, actually, originally in Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game, when we submitted it to FFG, originally the rest action always refreshed cards, and that and in development they decided to change, mix it up, make the characters different. Yeah. Um, and then in this period of the tariff, they decided to go back to the original concept, which I like. Um, the rest is functional, functionally the same for everybody, where you'd rest to you know, refresh your cards. It just makes sense. Um, so that was kind of cool. And this goes into the, the development team of FFG, where when we submit a game, they get to play test it, and they get to, you know, we get some new fresh eyes on the game and some, some new opinions, and the game changes in development. And one of the biggest changes for Heroes of Tarnoff, which I love, is that we got to do um, the hero archetypes and classes. So there's four archetypes in the game. There's the mage, the warrior, the uh, scout, and the healer. And in each of those archetypes in the base game, there's two different classes. Yeah. You level up, you can choose which class you want to do. And that opens the door to having expanding in the future where we can introduce new classes that um, just keeps expanding the game in that regard. Cool. I, that's a great resource to have, isn't it? That you, once you guys have developed the game, you can pass it over to these other guys to get so much feedback and finesse. And these are guys who sit on years of, of experience to feedback on your game and tell you how they could tweak and change things. I mean, that could go two ways. I mean, First of all, if you were very uh, collaborative and interested in the process, that would be a great resource. But the other way could be perhaps it would prick your ego a little bit. That, Who are these guys to change my game? You know? um, yeah, that's something you kind of have to get used to when you deal with big publishers. Is, uh, you, you have to make the game they want, and you have to accept the fact that some things might change, and you'd be okay with that. <laughs> it's, also, it's also a matter of just understanding your role. Like, uh, like I think Adam and I fully embrace the role of designer, yeah. where your main goal is to create just just a starting point 
because games are just a collaborative process to create. They, I mean, yeah, you'll have your name on the box if you if you create this concept, but I mean that goes with knowing that that's not going to be the might not be the finals we came up with because you need to have a team to help you mold this thing. It's still your idea, and whatever final form it takes, it's going to have whatever changes implemented. And this has happened to almost all of our games we've designed to bigger publishers, um, except for like you know the rare exceptions like with Blacklist we get full control over, uh, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But um, but we I think we're we're very aware of our role as designers. We're very open to, to having a team of developers take ownership of something we helped create and then them molding their vision with ours. I think it's uh, it's something, if you accept it, it's very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, game development is like a whole different skill set and it's extremely yeah. useful. <laughs> yeah, and if you didn't, I mean, you have to be open to that process anyway because that's how you play test the game in the first place. You, you're almost taking the ideas and feedback from hundreds of people who are playing the game when you, when you go through the play testing process. So to be able to draw on the guys at Fancy Flight as a resource, that must be pretty cool as well. And and uh, to be sort of rubbing shoulders with those, you know, like those sort of titans in the industry as well, um, is a privileged position to be in. But but let's also talk about the, the flip side of that, which you just mentioned, your work with Blacklist. So this is where you really get to be, I guess, sort of more auteurs <laughs> like, of the process. You, you're a little bit more over the control of the development of the game and things like that. It certainly seems that way from the from like an outside perspective that you guys are very actively involved in promoting the Kickstarters online and stuff. That's not something you need to do with Fantasy Flight because they've got the whole rolling marketing engine already in effect. Um, but obviously you guys are very passionate about getting the word out, for example, on Streetmasters and Brook City. Um, and you have, would you say it's a pretty different role there then in terms of not just designing it but following through and being almost like when actors get shipped around to different countries to talk about the movies that they're going to be in, um, you're kind of fulfilling that role in the game design and uh, publishing and publicity. Yeah, it's like a double-edged sword because like Blacklist, uh, because they were a smaller outfit when they came to us and they, they pretty much gave us free reign on what we wanted to do because they, they just wanted to pretty much create a, uh, a publishing brand around a flagship title. So... Um, we were given full control, which is, you know, it's like I said, a double-edged sword because it's really uh, fulfilling and inspiring to, to create something from the ground up and see it all the way through to the finish line. But like I said, Adam and I are traditionally designers. We're not, I mean, we can develop. I mean, we've, we've been in both roles before, but I think we're most comfortable in the design role. But having to do the development side of things and also including the marketing, all those other things too, um, it's a learning process and it's, we're not always the best at it. But I think uh, you know we have well, at least we have proven products now to show that you know we're 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 doing it, we're learning from it. Every time we do one, it's gonna get better and better. But I think we are we're pretty confident in in that role in the future and, and just making the best out of that situation because uh, we have a lot of games we want to make and having free reign on how we want to do them is very very liberating. Yeah, well, we're not uh, officially uh, you know on blacklist payroll. We do feel like we're you know basically partners in this publishing company because we are involved in almost every aspect of it. Um, they're very open and they like to involve us. Um, we also volunteer a lot of our t free time we have to promoting games that we do with them because we would like to see them grow and do more games with them in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Brady, you just mentioned then you're sitting on a sort of a whole bunch of games that you guys want to make. I mean, if, if one quality <laughs> was to define you guys as well as the you know, the high quality of the games. It's the prolific nature of your work. You guys are sitting on tons of titles now. If you look back over the last few years, all of the stuff you've done with Fantasy Flight and then all these games that are coming out with um, with Blacklist as well. 
But if we go, if we sort of delve a little deeper into that, Street Masters, for example, is um, if we just give a quick overview of that, it's cooperative uh, miniatures adventure game based on 1980s arcade sort of beat 'em up type video games and stuff. Um, and each character in that game has their own unique set of cards. And there are so many characters in that game. And then each, each level in the game has its own set of cards. Each sort of board that you're on, you could be in a warehouse or a cloning factory or any one of these different sort of locations. The locations have their own set of cards. Then you've got the villain decks, and these guys like decide how the game is going to play out, who you're fighting against. They've got their own set of decks as well. I mean, if we just took Street Masters alone, that is a metric ton of content for you guys to sort of design and get through let alone all the other games that you're working on. How the hell do you find the time to do all this? <laughs> and so it kind of cracks me up because I, I kind of want to take that sound bite. Whenever I hear somebody asking me a question about Street Masters, like, oh, I don't like this one stage because of this. And I'm like, no, I'm like, do you have any stages for that <laughs> So, yeah, I, mean, I think that, I mean, to answer your question, it just, it's, I think Adam and I work best in, massive spurts like we both consider ourselves like relatively we can be both pretty lazy about like our work ethic because we like to play games like to goof around we have where our, our attentions get scattered sometimes but we can really raise our focus like narrow our focus in on certain tasks and, and get them all done like for example street masters when i was on kickstarter in all honesty the core design was barely even like like nailed down yet it was mostly just here's the, the rules here's how it's going to function but it has to be developed from here and that's when the kickstarter was running and but after by the time the kickstarter ended we had like a few weeks after that where we pretty much designed all the content that was unlocked so i mean it was like just a massive uh madhouse push to get all that done and it turned out i mean luckily during play tests and everything we turned out we like we we caught some things obviously and we we had to develop some things but we got pretty lucky where a lot of our first takes were just almost keepers you know so um i guess it doesn't matter it depends on what mood we're in <laughs> how, <laughs> how frantically work and everything but we do we do collaborate very well so it helps that there's two of us we also have some awesome volunteers we had uh for playtesters um we had a couple guys um we had uh, Mitch and a guy named Mitch and a guy named Scotty who uh, Scotty actually is now working with Blacklist on marketing for Aftershock, uh, but they have both made appearances in games now, like in Brook City. Um, one of them's a cop, one of them's a criminal. Um, <laughs> but we we gave them homages to them because they're just so helpful. They they play test like crazy and give us great feedback, and they even uh, they even help develop some of the the game in Brook City. So we have a lot of great help as well. Yeah, well, once I mean, once you've established the the design, I guess you can sort of fall back on your experience a little bit and and be comfortable in that you know the mechanics underneath the game are solid, so that all of the different challenge decks and character decks and everything give you the opportunity to be experimental and creative. And if some of them aren't you know one hundred percent balanced, you know, you said some people might say, "Oh, I don't like this particular level." At the end of the day, it is going to get swallowed up by the gigantic amount of <laughs> the content that there is available. And, you know, let's be fair, when you played those 1980s video games and stuff like Street Fighter or uh, Streets of Rage is one that always comes to mind when I play it, um, there were levels that you hated and <laughs> there were bosses that exactly. sucked. Yeah. You know, the... Um, yeah, I mean, the idea behind that is, like, like you said, there's there's a big swath of content, so it's, it's there because it's supposed to fit a wide audience, you know, whoever, like, whatever tastes you like, there's got to be a stage for your style of play. Yeah. Um, and then going forward, you know, we're just going to keep releasing more and obviously refine the system and keep improving the content. So it's, uh, I think it's going to have a nice life ahead of it. I'll personally say that I can play on Ballistic, um, 
one of the one of the early stages we did for street matches. I can play that game that stage over and over again with different combinations of the fighters and enemies, and it's always interesting for me. So yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, something for everybody. Even even if it didn't have all those extra Kickstarter unlocks and stuff, there is plenty of replayability in just playing the same character against the same villains a few times. That's how, that's how I got to bits with the game in the first place, and it it didn't feel like oh well, you know, this is done. I need to move on to the next scenario now. Um, until I looked in the box and was like, I better move on to the next scenario because I'm never going to get to play all these characters. Um, so one thing in the original Kickstarter is you had the stories, which I really enjoyed. So these are basically, they link um, adventures together. So you play the same character and you can develop their story over a few different games. Um, you, I guess you didn't get the opportunity to unlock stories for every single uh, character in, in the base game. But this, so Aftershock is the sequel or, or the follow-up Kickstarter, right? So this is going to give the opportunity to address all those characters, finish off their story decks, and then add a whole new bunch of characters and levels, is it? Just give us the... Yeah. Yeah, the, what's the overview of Aftershock? <laughs> the elevator pitch? Yeah, sure, yeah. So the idea behind Aftershock was, uh, honestly, it kind of grew from just this idea of, well, we have to reprint this game because the first Kickstarter only printed a little more than was needed to fulfill the Kickstarter, and we sold out of those just to, between Gen Con and, and leading up to the Aftershock launch where it completely wiped out of most of our uh, um, Wave 1 stuff. So this, this Kickstarter has always been a... a goal to just reprint it, get enough copies out to distribution and make the game like widely available just in retail and online distribution. Um, but we were we were thinking, well, we wanna we wanna give something to the original backers and help them, you know, get excited about this game because they already have their stuff, they like the game, they want more stuff. So we decided to do an expansion which is gonna add four new fighters, uh, uh, four new stages and then, oh, yeah, 40 stages, and then um, two new enemy decks um, with all the figures and everything, obviously, but also uh, two new uh, modular elements to the game. One is the showdown stories, so now all of the enemy factions will have their own story decks and their own upgrade cards, which can be used to socket into any other existing story you're playing. You can play a, like a, a regular story deck with a hero story and then with a showdown story, so you make your own little, like, cobble-together campaign, and it kind of just... It's this kind of create your own campaign system. We want to keep uh, extra, ex, um, expanding on in future game, uh, future expansions. Um, and then the other modular thing we're adding is missions, which is a way to uh, have some more player interaction outside of your turn. Because if you're playing like three or four players, this game I, we both will openly admit that this game has a sweet spot of one to one to two players. Um, because it was very inspired by those two player couch co-op games that I grew up playing. Yeah. And obviously <clears throat> there's two of us, so when we're designing, we're obviously playing a lot two player or solo. So um, three to four has a little bit of slowdown, especially for new players, because there's there's just longer turns, um, and the game goes longer because of that. So mission cards will help you uh, get to interact with uh, players outside of your turn. So you do these little these little uh, tasks you'll have to do, like don't play a card on your, on your card step and instead gain a mission token. And those mission tokens are then spent on other fighters' turns to buff them up or let them do other things or let other fighters do other things. So that'll help have some more interaction. Um, and then we also uh, have some variants in the rules to help speed up gameplay as well, just to kind of, a, kind of some people who have any issues with the game time, this will help them address that. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of a preference thing. So aside from that, that's kind of new stuff. But then we even grew beyond that where we're like, oh, let's make a huge box to store Because <laughs> right now, even me, I have my stuff all sprayed up in two different boxes. And it's, I yep. can't take my own storage solution, but it's it's impossible to, to fit everything in one box right now. So uh, the Aftershock box is going to be this huge stacked it's going to have trays inside the box that hold all your cards. Nice. Removable card wells, removable token trays, and then room for your map tiles. 
And then um, you can even get your miniatures in there if you if you bag your miniatures up and can fit into this box. But otherwise, if you want to paint your miniatures and keep them more protected, we'll have solutions in the Kickstarter for that as well. Um, but like you said, yeah, we'll also have stretch goals to round out. There were like three fighters from the stretch goals and didn't have story cards. So we, we obviously want to add those in to kind of round those out as well. So there's a lot of cool surprises in this one. Awesome. I'm particularly looking forward to the storage box as well. Like one of the uh, discussions I think I had with you guys on Facebook was um, after I unbox it, the first thing I do when I get a new game is chuck the insert. And uh, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put all these cards in bags, and uh, throw them into it before realizing exactly how many cards and card decks there were. And uh, I think Brady was like, "What are you doing? Don't, don't get rid of that! Like that's the worst thing." And uh, as I, as I ran out of baggies, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna have to actually go in the bin and pull the plastic insert back just so I've got something to store these in." Um, but that's reassuring that you know the the new box is gonna cover us for all of that. Um, also, is it so? Is it a standalone expansion, or does it require the base game to plug into? It'll it require. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And when is that kickstarting? That's that's. There were some thoughts. Oh, sorry. There were some thoughts about making the making the standalone, but I think the added cost of doing so uh, is is less appealing to what we wanted to build with this one. Yeah. So it's it, we want it to be more like an optional buy for people who already have that content because if it's standalone, it, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of an awkward place to start the game. So we we just. We kind of made a universal decision to make it just just an expansion, and then you know in the future we we, we explore obviously having a different uh, standalone expansion experience because we obviously want to keep updating the game as we go, and that's a good time to do that is making a compatible you know new new standalone it's, expansion thing. So it's always better for a publisher to have one entry point to a game line so they can market it properly. Yeah, and of course going through as you say all the costs of reproducing all those dice and uh, tokens because there's so many dice and tokens in the game already. <laughs> Um, brilliant. So, could you tell us about um, Brook City then? So, this is the next title from Blacklist Games, am I right? Yes, Brook City was our follow-up to Street Masters, which uses a, a similar uh, system we're calling the modular deck system, uh, where it's fixed decks of cards. You have the cop decks, the criminal decks, and the case decks, and you can combine those to make any scenario you'd like. Uh, but Brook City, everything's played over this uh, on the same city board, which is like the standard, you know, six-fold board. Um, and there's also, you know, there's there's little vehicles in the game, you get out of vehicles, kind of like Grand Theft Auto feel. Um, oh. so you drive around town, uh, busting up criminals, trying to solve the case. Um, so it's a really, really uh, high, high action cop movie game. Um, very excited for that one to come out. So what sort of movies were you in inspirations for this? Are we talking Lethal Weapon and like the oh, yeah. 1980s Hangover buddy cast, Lethal Weapon, <laughs> like uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, speed, all those you know, classic. Yeah, and, and just that general feel of like some of the newer stuff. Where the, there's some newer video games and everything that have that cool like modern noir feel that, that kind of the weapon went for. So it, it's kind of inspired by any bits and pieces of, of of cop drama we've seen throughout our lives. You know, we just there's not there's some things that aren't particularly addressed. Like you won't know that's an homage to something, but it just tries to capture that feel of all those different things you always see in your day-to-day life and in the entertainment world revolving I mean, cops just you know high drama cops and the concept for the game literally was spawned from us just saying you know we want to make a game like your anthem auto but you don't have to play the bad guys <laughs> <laughs> that was always a disconnect for me you play something like grand theft auto i think three was the first one that really you know blew the i don't know the market out of the water with the 3d wandering around the city and everything and um, you're playing as a gangster and a thug you know and and it sort of it just carries on like that and I always had that it's these brilliantly gorgeously produced games but you're playing the 
douche. You know, it's like, <laughs> it was always a problem for me. I think I think that's why I preferred um, Red Dead Redemption because no matter how much of an outlaw you were, you always had this sort of moral core, and that the story sort of were really rooting for the guy. And I think that was a a real change up. I guess a lot of people do like to play the bad guy, but I, I think I always just uh, enjoyed, you know, having the moral upper hand in those kinds of games. I, I agree with you there. I always felt bad. Like there was always those missions in Grand Theft Auto, or like they were they were fun and all, but you just felt bad. Like why am I doing this? Why am I helping this criminal? <laughs> <laughs> or like the rampages where all you're gonna do is cause untold slaughter. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess you're just gonna be having a bad day. <laughs> so there's no rampages in Brook City then. <laughs> no. <laughs> So could you tell us a little bit about how it plays out then? So how do you go about solving these crimes? Presumably you don't just um, run in and beat everyone up like you're doing Street Masters. <laughs> no. In Brook City, it's a little more abstracted where instead of like, you know, punching and kicking and grappling, you're doing encounters um, and there's, you know, you can do encounters cautiously, normally or recklessly. Um, and basically you're going around uh, the crime deck, the criminal deck will be popping out crimes all over the city and helping the criminal complete his objective. And if the criminal ever, you know, gets enough influence, you'll lose. So he's kind of like a loss condition. And then the case deck, they all play very differently. So, for example, one of the criminals could be gathering influence for the syndicate. The other one could be driving around town, delivering drugs, you know, pick up drugs from the drug dealers, all kinds of stuff. We have one that's, you know, putting bombs in buildings. You have to go defuse the bombs. And then the cases are your objective. Like, that's how you win the game. And they all play differently as well. Maybe the mayor's daughter was kidnapped, or maybe there's a bomb on a bus and the bus is driving around the city recklessly. Or maybe there's just some shadowy uh, business going around town. You don't know what it is. You have to go solve the syndicate's, you know, mystery. Um, and the case pretty much has clues popping up all over the city. Um, again, they can all play very differently, but typically the case deck will tell you exactly how to win the game. And sometimes it's gathering clues um, in some specific order. Um, so once you complete all the objectives for the case, you'll win the game. Yeah, and some, some people will have this assumption right away because it's this, you know, it, it does have, like, an investigation feel, like, yeah, you're solving cases, but it's, like, it, there's no uh, core mechanic in the game that focuses on deduction or anything like that, but the game is built in a way where if we ever wanted to explore other ways to do crime decks, the, the rules will support it because we already have ideas of case decks. In the game. Yeah, sorry, case decks, yeah. So we already have these ways in the... Um, in, these ways we want to expand the game, for example, have like a case book or something where it's like a campaign and you're trying to solve this big elaborate case, but the, the core mechanics of the game would support that. It just, there's no, so some people expect because it's a cop game, there's some kind of core element that's in the mechanics of, how, you know, oh, it's a deduction based game or whatever. It's like, no, this is more like a framework and we can do whatever content we want in here. It's more just kind of building the system and then in the future we'll do whatever content we want. And it's, it's really exciting that way. Yeah, the biggest benefit about that that way is that the cases are completely replayable. They, they can play out differently every time. Just because you solve a case does not mean that, oh, that one's done. I don't need to solve that case anymore. It, it plays different every time with the combination of cop and criminals that you play with. Right, exactly. Because if you play Sherlock Holmes, Consultant Detective, or uh, Mythos Tales, those kinds of games, they're one and done each adventure. You're never going to replay that, right? Um, right. So this is more, would you say, it's more of a kind of action-adventure kind of experience of the cop movie genre? Yeah, yeah, it feels more like an adventure game to me because I, I kind of got introduced to cooperative gaming through adventure games like, you know, Arkham Horror. And then I know it's not a co-op, but the old Runebound game, I used to love playing that. So um, it does have much more of an adventure feel, even though you're not gaining power. You know, essentially, there's some distracting ways you are, like you're gaining hunches, and you're gaining more cards and play and everything. But that whole open world feel, that sandbox feel where you're going to do whatever you want in the city, that 
that's definitely more of an it's like a more adventure style game as opposed to just a shoot a guy or you know fight a guy because Street Masters is obviously just a straight combat. You're always it's always a fight. You're always there's always other things you can do, but it's always a fight. Yeah. In Brook City, it's it's just more whatever the case details, whatever the criminal decks have you do. It's just this kind of open world feel. Cool. As well, the theme it seems. Um, now that it's out there kind of thing, it's like it, it makes perfect sense, but it's actually not fully explored in board gaming, really. You don't get that many sort of 80s cop show inspired games, similarly to Street Masters. You know, it's again, makes perfect sense. Now it's out there, the miniatures look great and everything. It's this cool, like 80s vibe, beat em up game. Um, but it's one of those things that wasn't really explored in, you know, this sort of, I guess, we're in, in terms of like thematic games, which is what I'd, I'd say you guys specialize in, we have, a, you know, this zombies and cthulhu and all these tropes played over and over and over but you guys are still sort of finding ways like new areas to play in and new sort of fun things to come up with like that must be really satisfying on a like a designer level on a fanboy level yeah. as well i honestly thought that that would uh bring in more attention on the kickstarter because there's just not a lot of cop games out there and i mean i remember when we played police precinct for example, we're like, oh, this is cool. It's a cop game. And while I thought it was kind of, there's some cool things about it, they were, I just wanted more out of it. Yeah. So we always wanted to do a cop game. And That's much more sort of family-based, isn't it? It's kind of like Flashpoint is yeah. to firefighting sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. We kind of want to take it up a notch to, you know, pump the adrenaline up a little bit and bring in the action movie theme. But I just, I, I thought there'd be more of a reception to a cop game, a co-op cop game out there. Um, but it's still a niche theme, and like you know, a lot of people we saw um, when we were at Kickstarter was live. We saw a lot of feedback saying, "Oh, I want to back this game, but I'm not a big fan of the theme." And they, they all just people just said, they, "If this was a fantasy game, I'd buy it." I'm like, "Well, there's millions of fantasy games out here. <laughs> it's like, why why don't you take a chance on a new theme?" <laughs> you should have called it Cthulhu Cop. Could have sold millions. No, but that, I think that um, I, I certainly empathize with wanting to find a new story and wanting to find a new space to, to design in and do something different. Because as you say, you know, and I'm probably not the best person to say this, but fantasy games, there's so many of them out there. Um, and I, I think it's really important to, to keep like trying these new areas and new uh, genres and things. And I think maybe, um, you know, now that the, the reprint, for example, of Street Masters with Aftershock coming up, I think now that it's landed, the reviews have been amazing. Everybody who I've seen talk about it on social media and everything loves the game. I know we love it. It's a big hit, Street Masters. And um, so I think maybe it's just getting that signal boost out there to guys perhaps of our age group or our interests who are interested in the stuff that isn't just uh, fantasy, zombies and Cthulhu and, you know, whatever else. Um, but so Aftershock is... Kicking, it's kickstarting at the end of this month, isn't it? October. Yeah, 23rd. 23rd. Yeah. 23rd. Cool. And you guys have been uh, shouting about it every day on Facebook, which is great. <laughs> yeah, we basically, we were, we're kind of uh, overcompensating where our last two Kickstarters with Blacklist kind of flew under the radar because they're a smaller publisher and they were focused more on making sure we have a good game yeah. and less on the marketing side of things. Okay. Now, with, you know, we brought in, they brought in Scotty to help out the marketing side of things, so we're kind of trying to up the marketing more and making sure people know about it. Because one of the biggest things we heard when we, when Street Masters finally started delivering to backers, we saw just an outpouring online of like, I can't believe I missed this Kickstarter. Oh my God, how did I miss this Kickstarter? Like we've been yelling about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just trying to get the word out there more and maybe annoying some people, but making sure that as many people that would be interested about it can at least hear about it and know it's coming. Absolutely. I think every indie designer out there is feeling your pain in that respect. Like <laughs> just, just getting the word out to, to the right people is, you know, it's the key thing. And, and the great thing about the industry at the moment is it's still growing. It's still expanding and, and 
more and more people I speak to on a daily basis who were never previously into board games. We've even got like new people join our regular Thursday group. You know, that's like it seems more and more people are kind of um, embracing board games as a whole in a way that they perhaps weren't even five years ago. You know, if you go back 20 years, video games were, you know, strictly reserved for nerds and geeks. And now you've got Call of Duty outselling Avatar, you know, and people are more into video <laughs> games than movies. And I'm sure, you know, we're on a similar tra trajectory where people want to get away from the screens and get down and handle cardboard and sit with their friends and enjoy an evening. And um, it's, it just feels like if you could just find a way to sort of shout out to all these people and tell them about the games, you know, because that what you were saying there about people coming up and going, oh, I told you about this game if I'd known about it. Um, I, <laughs> I definitely feel that. That's happened to me so many times. Um, so anyway, so it's always harder too when you try to promote your own game because it's like you don't want to just sit here and try to talk, talk about how awesome your game is. You want somebody else to do it for you. Yeah, because how, you know, how do you come across when you, when you speak yeah. like that? People are just like, wow, you know, enough of yourself sort of thing. But, yeah. but you kind of have to because if you don't, people are like, well, he's not even shouting about his own game. What's up with it? <laughs> yeah, there's no, it's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's kind of a win-win because we still get to make cool, nerdy games, yeah. right? <laughs> Cool. Well, listen, um, I'm going to wish you the best of luck with the Kickstarter. I know I'm going to be there on day one. I'm really looking forward to Aftershock. And and Brook City, where's that at now? I'm sure I saw you post a picture of you holding. Is that the pre-production copy or is that on the boat? Yeah, we got we got the first samples uh, for color matching and card counts and everything. We got that in. We reviewed it um, over the weekend. We posted a live video on Facebook if people want to check it out on Blacklist's Facebook page. Uh, everything was looking good. Had a couple changes, but everything's set to hit the print button so things are going very well with that one cool so that's literally just a matter of a, a few months away now hopefully <laughs> we'll, we'll see for sure there's always something that comes up but it's going it's been going very smoothly so far excellent yeah, it's, way, it's way ahead of schedule at least that's that's for sure <laughs> awesome well i can't wait for brook city to land and obviously we'll be there on day one for street masters round two and um, good luck with everything guys thanks so much again for coming on the show i really appreciate it it's always great talking to you guys it and hope to see. Are you guys going to Essen this year? Unfortunately, no. We we should be there. Like we should be hitting most of the commissions next year. But this year, it's been kind of just you know get the foundation laid. Doing the real job. Getting the design yeah, and done. <laughs> sort of sort of presence there with Mitch, or one of our developers slash playtesters. Mitch uh, is going to be going there with the copy of Street Masters to demo to anybody who's interested. So watch, look out for somebody. The Karen Street Masters box. And they'll play it with you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Right, well, thanks again so much for coming on the show, guys. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, as always. And um, let's get you back on again soon once Brook City's landed and we can, we can start chatting about that again. Awesome, yeah. Sounds great. Thanks yeah, for having us, yeah. man.